slowly airs. You'll lead me through. I'm Victory 91.5. It's Corey. I'm here with Ray Haynes. We're talking about the Day of Atonement. And we want to thank Bob Bailey's Appliance over in Stone Mountain. And they've been serving the North Metro Atlanta area since 1962. There's information on all their appliances, all their services at BobBailey's.com. They have you beat. On how old they they are. They've been serving longer than me. Yes, longer than you've been alive. So talk to us about how we can all actually experience the fullness of what this day really means. Sure. You know, the Day of Atonement is so important. You know, it is... It's, you know, it's a challenge because not everybody is able to fast. There are medical situations and health situations. But it is the one day... The one day of the whole year, we're not requested to fast, we're commanded to fast, Mm. and we're commanded not to work, not to do anything, and the whole point of that in our stopping is to say and to show in the most physical way possibly that Jesus is the only one that can deal with everything, my sin, my failures, Mm. my all my hope is in him, I can't lift one finger to save myself. Yeah. That's the whole point of the day. And that's why no no eating, no doing anything. In fact, as I'll show you a little bit later, you wear white, you wear grave clothes because you're dead. Mm. You're literally supposed to see yourself as dead. And so it's just a very somber moment of just taking stock of everything like that. But, you know, one of the things that I love about this day, too, is a lot of times because we didn't grow up with well, a lot of the symbolism and, you know, we're here, it's 2020, right? It's not 2000 or 3000 years ago. We weren't interacting and going through all these things. And so we didn't get to experience the miracles that were happening on a, on a continual basis in this temple and tabernacle. So everything around the sacrifices, there was something miraculous going on. I mentioned that these two goats, one was killed, one was taken and as a scapegoat, and there was this little ribbon tie that was red, uh, scarlet ribbon, and it would turn white as that goat died to say, as a, and that's a miracle. You don't, you know, ribbons don't change color mm-hmm. as you fall off a cliff. That's a miracle. God had to do that as a sign and a symbol to show that. And that happened, and they write that down in the Talmud. They kept a note of that. And that's just one of the many things, fire, you know, when fire comes down and consumes sacrifices and all kind of things happen that we'll talk about. But understand that there was a point in a time where it no longer happened. Mm. And that's the most important thing I want to show you today in, in this next moment. Beginning with the death and resurrection of Yeshua Jesus, the strip of scarlet dyed wool that was tied to that head of the scapegoat, it never again turned white Mm. as a sign that the sins of the people were forgiven. I mean, that is a somber moment. The Talmud is the one that tells us this. This is the Jews writing this of their yearly day of atonement. It bears record to a spiritual decay among the people such that murders became so widespread after the resurrection of Jesus that the Sanhedrin stopped adjudicating capital crimes such as homicide. Imagine that, where murder was no longer dealt with. Mm. The miracle of the thread turning white was to show them and us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive them. When Jesus died on the cross, it tore the curtain forever, and a permanent sacrifice was made and accepted for everyone forever who received Jesus. Not the goat. 
Jesus wasn't just another sacrifice for the sins of man. Hebrews 9 describes the incomparable effect of his sacrifice. Mm. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, Orthodox Judaism records in Tract Yoma 39 of the Talmud, you can go on, on the internet and read it, that from 30 A.D., that's when Jesus was crucified, until 70 A.D., that's when the temple was destroyed, there was no longer any more sacrifices, God no longer accepted the animal sacrifices commanded for the Day of Atonement. Since the time of Moses and Aaron, which is 1,500 years, the high priest would cast lots for the two goats, which were to be offered as sacrifices on Yom Kippur. One lot for the goat on the altar for God, and the other was the Azel for the scapegoat into the elder, elder, wilderness, not the wilderness, wilderness, but the wilderness for the <laughs> removal of sins. As the priest cast the lot, he found it in his right hand. All right, so you cast lots. It's like dice, in a sense. As he cast the lot, if he found found it in his right hand, it was a good omen, indicating that God had accepted the sacrifice. Mm. However, if the high priest drew it into his left hand, this indicated the Lord's displeasure and even rejection of the sacrifice. Mm. During the tenure of Shimon Hasidic, this particular high priest, the lot for God always rose in the high priest's right hand. But during the 40 years after the destruction of the second temple, the lot for God did not arise in the high priest's right hand at all. Same result, 40 years. A lot cast in the left hand carries a statistical probability of over one in a trillion chances that that would happen. Mm-hmm. So even just by randomness, it was nearly impossible. But so too, that strip of crimson wool that was tied to the head of the goat that was sent to Azil didn't turn white, indicating the sins had not been forgiven. The westernmost lamp of the candelabrum in the in the temple did not turn, uh, didn't burn uh, continually, which is what it had to do as a sign that God's presence rested on the nation. So the lamp stopped burning. During the tenure of that uh, Shimon Hazik, the fire on the arrangement of wood on the altar kept going strongly, perpetually by itself. You didn't have to add wood to it. It just kept burning. Such the priest didn't bring any additional wood, didn't have to tend it to anything. From then onward, the priest could not avoid bringing wood to the arrangement throughout the entire day. I mean, everything changed. It's clear that for Orthodox Judaism to make such notations in the Talmud dealing with the lot, the wool strip, the lamp, the wood on the altar, meant that they believed something of major significance had taken place, which demanded an explanation relating to their most critical festival of sacrifice. Changes to the lot, the wood, the wood stri- the wool strip, the lamp, would have all been considered a significant miraculous sign, but taken together over the same 40-year period meant that these events were impossible to ignore. So the 40 years were a period of testimony and attesting for the Jewish people that the sacrificial system had been completed by the death of Jesus on the cross. 40 is a typical number of testing throughout the Bible. While animal sacrifices continue to be offered in the temple while it stood, without intending to, the Talmud offered historical support for the significance and the reality of the death and the resurrection of the Messiah, even though they had rejected him. 
Apparently, God had established several obvious signs relating to the high priest's actions that everyone could see to know if their sins were forgiven. It was clear that after the death of Jesus, the sacrificial system was no longer accepted by God for the forgiveness of sins. Now, one of the more interesting signs, apart from all the other ones I just read you, I thought was interesting, included the garments of the high priest. You know, as I said, after completing his sacrificial tasks, he's killing goats and bulls and all this. There's blood everywhere. He is soaked in blood from head to toe. Only after this blood was absorbed did the Lord even accept the sacrifice. So one Midrash said that as the high priest hung out his garments, a miracle took place in which his garments turned from bloodstained crimson to white. And that's where you, you know, the verse in Isaiah, your sins will be once a scarlet will be as white. That's where we get that whole concept from is these robes of the high priest. Obviously, those who rejected Yeshua, Jesus as their Messiah, found themselves in a bad, bad place, uncovered, unforgiven, unatoned. It's not easy for everyone to adhere and adjust to no longer having a temple to make sacrifices. For the Jews, there's the, the whole um, scapegoat ceremony that's performed on the eve of Yom Kippur. Despite all that we've said and done here that shows that God is not looking for sacrifices anymore, the ultra-Orthodox Jews have a ceremony. And uh, in this ceremony, they read verses from Psalms and Job, and then they swing a live chicken around your head three times and declare, I know it's not supposed to be funny, but it is, <laughs> this fowl shall be in my place, it shall be my atonement, my expiation, it shall go to death, and I shall proceed to a good long life and, and peace. And the person's sins are symbolically transferred to the chicken, which is then taken to a butcher to be slaughtered and given to the poor for their meal before Yom Kippur, which will happen today. So the ultra-Orthodox will be slinging these chickens. Jewish scholars <laughs> explain that since the Hebrew word gever could mean both man or rooster, the punishment of the bird could be substituted for that of a person. So despite all, <laughs> they're still trying this and still, still not working. Blood of Jesus and only the blood of Jesus. And I thought Pentecostals scared people, but <laughs> see, we're not, a, we're not as wild as you think. <laughs> uh, see, no chickens. <laughs>